Jesus. What a name. Sometimes we hear it in the workplace, and it's said in a derogatory way. Other times we hear it in a hospital room, begging Jesus to come and to heal and to comfort and to encourage. The name of Jesus. You know, we're back into the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we are just talking about Jesus. It's week 20 in our series, and we're going to be in John chapter 8, so you can start to thumb your Bibles and get to that spot or open your flat screens. But the Apostle John wrote this gospel late. At the very end of his life, he was still enamored with Jesus. He had lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, and Jesus, well, he hasn't been around for a while. The church has exploded, and he has become one of these leaders. And, and in spite of his incarceration on the island of Patmos, he still loves Jesus. So John wanted to write a gospel, a good news, a great message to give hope, not only for that early church, but for us, 2,000 years later. And he had an agenda, and it's found in chapter 20, verse 31, and he said this, I'm writing this that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. Now we know that John is saying it all different ways only because Jesus said it all different ways. But you may only have life by the power of his name. And we've been singing, Jesus. Jesus. You know, I don't know how your week's been. I don't. I think, again, some of you had some really hard days. But I know this, is that I go back to Jesus every single day for me, listening to him, hearing, and, and hoping more than anything that I might just see him better or clearer. You know, each week we've been meeting together, and like I said, now 20 weeks of focusing on Jesus, his message, and learning that he's the Son of God, that he's Messiah, that he's King, that he's Savior. Jesus is God, and showed us what God looks like while he spent his time on earth. John records when he offers to rescue, well, the intellectual, the religious, and the rebellious. We probably all fit in one of those categories. And his message was relentless, just relentless. 
You need Jesus for life. So John records what he offers when he offers to rescue all of these folks. And Jesus makes statements that are absolutely ludicrous. He starts letting all of the children of Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews of that time, he says, I just want you to know you've been waiting a long time for the Messiah, for the Savior. That's who I am. I am the long-awaited Messiah, Savior of the world. I'm the bread of life. You will never be sustained with anything other than me. I am living water. You're all thirsty at times, some more than others, but, but realistically, the only way you're going to get your thirst quenched, only way, is by me, a relationship with me. And today, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. I told the worship team this morning as we began to pray, I am so excited to be able to share this message. I think, again, that this is probably my favorite message in John. Now, some of you are saying, Rick, you say that every week. Well, this week, it's my favorite passage. And I think you guys are going to be absolutely blown away with Christ's heart again. I do. He clearly communicates that he is the only way and is going to illustrate it today. He gives purpose to a group of aimless and confused disciples and builds faith into them. He restores people who are physically, emotionally, and spiritually dead. Does. Last week, we saw that Jesus extended grace to a woman who deserved to die. Now again, some of us can judge that and, and say, oh, well, yeah, she was an extremely sinful woman. But really, if we're honest, every one of us are in that same place. And that's what Jesus does. He offers grace to anybody who believes in him. He came to pay our debt which this next week we are just going to focus on a whole lot during this Easter season. He came to encourage those who scurry, to those that, oh, don't know what to do next in life. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. But what's so weird if we read through the Gospels, and so many of you are familiar with that, there's this group of people, religious leaders who hate Jesus. Men who oppose Jesus. And every opportunity they have, they try to, well, hurt him, dishonor him, discredit him. And from our perspective, we are blown away. What's going on? I mean, honestly, what did Jesus really do wrong? And we're just amazed that anybody would oppose him. Well, this conflict continues this week. Yet in spite of these pious and pompous people, Jesus shouts a message of life. It's a great message. 
It really is. I'm going to ask Dave Cleveland to read our text so you can follow along either in your Bibles or up on the screen as we start in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, You are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, These claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards. But I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. Jesus answered, Since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Later, Jesus said to them again, I am going away. You will search for me, but you will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, Is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot come where I am going. Jesus continued, You are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you, they demanded. Jesus replied, The one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. Let's pray. Fathers, we hear these words, these words that uh, we're going to focus on today, these words of life, these words of hope. We pray, dear God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see clearly what you want us to see. Father, if there's some conviction, we pray, Father, that we would respond. If there's some hope that is needed, we pray, dear Father, we would embrace that. We know there's all kinds of churches all over, last night and this morning and even this evening, that will proclaim your word, that there will be God's people meeting, some in little groups, some in large auditoriums, but we know, God, that your kingdom is here. We know, God, that that you have given us opportunity to partner with you to literally be salt and light in our world. So we pray for some of the churches in our area, Lord. 
We pray for Northbridge with Pastor Mark and Orchard with Pastor Tim and Lifebridge with Pastor Bob and Torch of Faith with Pastor Mark. Lord, we know that uh, these congregations are meeting to lift your name up. We know, God, that you are sending all of your kids into our world to make a difference. So we pray that you would bring revival. Even during this Easter season, when perhaps more may be open to hearing the good news of your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Father, we pray today that you would open our eyes again, just today, to this text. In your name, amen. Amen. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of detail here, but I have to put this in context. Technically, as we explained a little bit last week, is that John chapter 7, verse 52, really should be the last part of this chapter. And then we should really jump right to John chapter 8, verse 12. So I just want to put a little bit of that in context, and as we shared really for a few weeks, that this little section is probably happening about six months before the Passover, the final one, the one that Jesus had the Last Supper, the one that eventually he was arrested, and the one where eventually he was crucified. So he's got about six months left for his earthly life. This is the last festival of tents, or feast of tents, that Jesus is going to. Our story happens at the close, or at the end of this feast of shelters. And if I could describe a little bit of the culture at that time, there were so many Jews that were there at the temple area that have migrated back or come back to Jerusalem at this time. It was one of the feasts that God expected all of the God-fearers, especially the males, to come. What's so odd is that there probably isn't anything in our culture that we celebrate for a week. Probably isn't. I mean, if it's a birthday. Now, some of you do want to go to the birthday months. I know that, okay? Where every single day you are celebrating something wonderful about your birth, all right? But most people, again, to celebrate a week of anything, it's probably unheard of. So for the Jews to come during Passover time or the Festival of Feasts, or, or you can name it, it just seems really odd to us. Why would you quit work? Why would you just kind of do this to remember? I mean, I can kind of remember what you want me to do, God. Can't I just kind of do that quickly? But it was a time for every Hebrew to focus on God's faithfulness during the 40 years of wandering in the desert. Now, if you know the story, remember they were wandering in the desert because of their rebellion. Because they chose not to put their faith in God, and they chose not to go into the promised land, which was promised to them. And they would be able to enjoy all the, well, blessings of that land. 
They chose not to do it. And so God said, okay, you get your wish. You are all going to, well, die. Everyone, 20 years or older. And you're going to walk in the desert. But what God wanted them to do later on when he talked to Moses, he said, I want my people to remember my faithfulness. I want them to remember that I gave them water out of a rock. I want them to remember that they were, well, having food every day, that their clothing never wore out, that I was faithful to you before I brought you into this beautiful and wonderful land. And so that's what they did. They celebrated God's faithfulness, and they lived in these temporary shelters, kind of like tents that they would have lived in during the desert. A couple weeks back, when we shared at the end of John chapter 7, you remember they experienced a daily procession where the priest went down to the pool of Siloam, marched up to the temple, and it happened every single day, and he poured this water on the altar in order to say, thank you, God, for providing water for us all the way through our desert experience. So that happened all the time. And it was in that context, which was so cool, that Jesus said, hey, you look for water because you're thirsty. I am the living water. I will quench your thirst. And it was so very, very cool. It was at the climax of this festival. And people kind of got it. They did. But Jesus wasn't done. Because every day at night, they lit the humongous menorah. Mine is not humongous. Mine is a postage stamp. And I'm sitting there going, Rick, this is so ridiculous. Why would you even bring that pathetic symbol of how big this was. And if you look up in the screen, we're trying to just give you a little bit of what the temple looks like, you will see some humongous menorahs. There's four of them, all right, up in that temple area, actually in the, in the court of women, all right? And, and these things, again, what are they doing? What is the idea? Well, the daily water-pouring ceremony had its counterpart at night. You didn't even need to be at the temple to enjoy this activity. I, again, believe that everyone in Jerusalem looked forward to when they would light these menorahs. They were oil lamps at that time. And I'm not so sure if Jesus just shared during the last night when he was there, or he just did it for the three or four days that he was there. But I don't think it matters, because Jesus took every opportunity he could to be able to explain good news and hope. Now, we do know that Jesus loved to teach at the temple, especially in the court of women. Now, as you look up on the screen, I I know this sounds a little derogatory. It it really does like, oh, okay, so there's a court where just ladies... No. What you have to understand is that the temple system 
um, really was a barrier to so many scenarios. It, it really was to people groups. And there was a place where only the Gentiles could go in. And then there was a place where the women and them, anyone who was Hebrew could come in. And that actually was called the Court of, court of Women. And just for history's sake, it was probably the busiest place. It was probably the place, at least by tradition, that there were 13 trumpet-type things, like outcome funnels, all right, with offering boxes in. And every one of these offering boxes, as you came to the temple, you would put your offering in there, all right? And each one of these 13, well, offering bucket funnels, whatever you want to call them, um, they had designated giving, all right? So if you wanted to give in a certain way, in a certain place, or you had something on your heart, you would go to that funnel, boom. And that's why you hear stories of the widow's might, or some things where the coins would come in, and you would hear how much coinage would drop. The little mite, ding, you know. And then all the Pharisees, ching, 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 ching. And they'd walk around, and everyone would know, ho, ho, you've given a whole lot. But this is what happened in this court, okay? Now, if you really look at this, if Jesus is going to teach anywhere, he's going to teach in this area because normally at any time of day it was crowded, all right? But on this night, in the night of our text, it was getting late and the darkness began to descend. And no doubt that Jesus paused. He probably stopped. In fact, everybody stopped talking while the four boys, they were men, climbed up these giant ladders to these humongous menorah with their Bic lighters and lit them. All right? In a matter of minutes, the menorahs were lit. They were. They were burning brightly. And again, I love this picture again. Of course, there were no cameras back then, folks, okay? We're, we're just letting you know, okay? But this is a little bit of the sight. Remember, there are no streetlights back then. There's no electricity. There's no way to be able to illuminate something. But somehow, they did an amazing job. So Jesus is teaching right in that square. Darkness has been ascended. He's been sharing his heart and talking to the people. Now the courtlet was lit. In fact, the Mishnah, which is part of the Jewish early writings, says this, there was not a courtyard in all of Jerusalem that did not reflect its light. Remember, the temple mound is actually a temple mound. It's up high in Jerusalem. And realistically, this is just like a beacon at this moment. So anywhere in the city, you could look up, and there was this light that was happening. All right? So just moments before, darkness. Just a little bit later, light. Light everywhere. And of course, it was trying to remind them of God's faithfulness again. 
Remember, all the way for 40 years, there was a cloud that covered them during the day so the heat of the desert didn't fry them. But at night, as soon as it got dark, the scriptures say there was a pillar of light. They did not have to suffer. They did not run out of batteries. They were able to walk around all the time because of this magnificent light in the desert. So that's all that was happening here, at least to the Jews. God, we thank you for this massive light. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you again. You bring us water. You are a great God. You are an awesome God. We just want to focus on you, God. And then it came. It came. Jesus spoke. I almost get goosebumps when I think of this. What a beautiful stage. What a perfect illustration. One moment, dark. The next moment, the humongous menorahs are lighting up everything. And he goes to verse 12. And he says this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Do you you believe it? The people, again, they've heard, okay, I'm the bread of life. I will take care of all your needs. No one will ever be able to be sustained without me. I'm the water that quenches your thirst. And now, there was darkness. All of a sudden, I am the light of the world. Jesus was boldly proclaiming he was the light of the world. Quite the statement in the context. And again, I'm pretty sure most of you, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this, you've seen this, it's been in Sunday school. I am the light of the world. And and we get it, but I'm not so sure we get it in the context. Remember, light brings comfort. It does. Light dispels fear. Oftentimes you have to leave a closet open in a little one's room, right? Or get a nightlight, or two nightlights, or three nightlights. Or leave the hollow, I, I don't know. But, but somehow darkness, oh, for a little one, <laughs> even for a big one sometimes, it's kind of scary. But it dispels fear. fear. You know it's there. When it's dark especially when you're camping or whatever. Let's face it. Every one of us think the grizzly bear is outside the tent. I heard that. I heard that. You didn't hear anything. Go to sleep, you know. And what do you have to do? You either make the fire bigger or you go out with a flashlight. Okay, honey, nothing is here. I checked it out with the light. You don't have to fear. Light brings clarity. We know that light exposes both danger and paths. Where to walk, where not to walk. Light brings confidence. Where you walk and you run and you work and you do life with authority. In scriptures, all the way through scriptures, darkness speaks of death, ignorance, and sin. While light speaks of life, knowledge, and holiness. 
Really, by Jesus again claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus, although we don't understand all the New or Old Testament content, there's so much of it there. And by claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus was clearly claiming to be God. In Psalm 27, 1, in Isaiah 60, verse 19, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And more importantly, he was shouting that he was Israel's Messiah sent by God to be the light of the world. I love that. There's other passages, Isaiah 42 and Malachi chapter 4. But in in, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, listen to what Isaiah writes. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me, speaking of the Messiah. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus did not say that he was a light. Jesus said he was the light. But realistically, you would think again that people would flock to the light, right? Doesn't that make sense? But John said earlier in our gospel, in chapter 3, verse 19, that God's light came into the world. But people love darkness rather than light because their actions were evil. I love this when the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Colossians and Ephesians kind of reflect. uh, It's kind of the same thing said over and over to two different audiences in many ways. But Paul just shouts this out. Chapter 1, verse 13. He said this. For he, for Jesus, rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. How cool is that? Jesus did clarify what light means. He said, having light that illuminates the pathway to life means you have to follow him. He's the light, stay close to him. Let him be in front of you. Walk with him, stay close to him, because you have the light. Following, well, I know it's rather rudimentary, but sometimes we just have to remind each other what following means. Following means Jesus is the leader. We're not the leader. Following means knowing his words and submitting to his authority. We need to be students of the scriptures. We need to be able to hear his voice because we need help every single day. It means we get the benefit of light and enjoy life when we closely follow him. You see, there's even times in Christian's life where we run from God. And we don't, well, walk with God. Which is a metaphor for for just saying somehow there's sin in our lives. We've chosen to rebel against God and we've not confessed our sin. All the way through the scriptures, well, the Bible reminds us that Well, God cannot have fellowship with light, with with darkness. And so we do. We need to be, as we walk with God, He exposes things in our life. We, We confess our sin. And we continue this sweet relationship with our King, 
I think it's important for us to understand that following Christ is not burdensome. I would much rather walk in the light than walk in the darkness. Our toes tell us that all the time. All right. But in spite of this illustration, in spite of this impact, the Pharisees cried foul. Foul! You're wrong. Your claims are not valid. Jesus then used some really strong language. He said, my claims are valid because I speak the truth. Because the only words that actually I speak are words that God gives me. So I know I am tight with God. I listen to God. I speak His words. In fact, my father and I agree on everything. But you don't know my father. Oh boy. That riled up the troops. John MacArthur says this, and I want to quote him at this point. He says, I find it tragically ironic that Jesus was surrounded by men who were masters of the manuscript, dedicated guardians of the scriptures, but they failed to recognize the living word when he stared them in the face. The Lord had entrusted the Jewish people with care and proclamation of his word. They were exposed to the truth of God daily as they faithfully preserved the text with meticulous care, making sure that each successive generation received a purely transcribed copy of God's inerrant word. But preoccupied with every jot and tittle, they were unable to connect the obvious Then Jesus actually turns from, well, the skeptics of religion. And he turns to the crowd. Remember, he had just basically said, hey, I I just want you to know, I am the light of the world. Well, the Pharisees didn't like that. They argued with him, but then he didn't pay a whole lot of attention. He went right back to the crowds. And he says, hey, I am leaving this planet soon, and you're going to die in your sin. But you don't have to. You can believe. In verse 24, let me read it again to you. He says this, This is why I said you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. I really am the light. I really am the Savior. I really am the Messiah. And if you continue to go down this path your own way, you're going to die. And you'll be separated from me forever. Well, many were still confused. So Jesus tried a different angle. Six months down the road, this is what's going to happen in verse 28. So Jesus said this. Hey, folks, this is like the gospel for dummies. All right? You've all seen those books. And and actually, I have a few copies of not the gospel for dummies, but a lot of other things for dummies, you know? It's like, okay, quit all the hogwash. Just give it to me straight, okay? I'm not a techie, or I'm not a builder, or I'm not... I just need to know, how do I do this? So Jesus, again, poured out his heart, and he says, when you, verse 28, have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross then you will understand then I am he you'll get it 
your eyes will be opened. And that's exactly what happened in verse 30. Then, then, many who heard him say these things believed in him. Wow. You know, sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we don't hear God. Sometimes we forget all the grace and all the beauty and all the wonderful things that God is just sharing with each one of us. And we get discombobulated. Jesus said, you know what, Pharisees, I'm just, forget that. I'm going to try a different angle. You guys, please, don't die in your sins. Don't. Not getting this yet? Okay. When the Son of Man is crucified and buried, and by the way, on Sunday, when he is raised to life, (laughs) you guys are going to get it. Well, maybe some of you. You're going to get it. Nobody does this. And then I'm going to walk around. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to again beg them. Plead with them. You're not going to find life anywhere else. And some believed. You know, as the Feast of Tabernacles, the in-gathering harvest celebration, well, came to a close. Jesus had fulfilled his mission. He had harvested more believers whose hearts have been prepared by the Father. God went before him. God knew who Jesus should talk to. And as I wrap up, I have to ask this question. Has the Messiah's words sunk in today? He's not this little piddly menorah. (laughs) I I know if it was really dark, we might be able to have a little bit of light here. And you might be able to get around. And it might be great for a romantic dinner. But Jesus says, I am the unbelievable light. I, I will light up your world. Without me, the alternative is darkness. I honestly do not know of anyone on the planet that would rather live in darkness rather than light. In normal living. Really. But that's what Jesus was saying. Either you will embrace my message. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Or you're going to have a lot of bloody toes. And what's even worse, you may die in your sin. If this is true, you have two alternatives. Even today, even right here. You're either going to live in darkness or you're going to live in light. You're going to trust Him as your Savior. You're going to recognize that you've tried to live life without Him and that darkness really stinks does and that you need a light you need a savior and if jesus really is the light if really all of our neighbors that don't have the light and all of our co-workers don't have the light and maybe even all of our family that doesn't have the light wow maybe we have an opportunity to point people to the light 
to be able to help them understand how wonderful light is. If you've only lived in darkness, you've only scurried around. I love using that term because it feels to me like three blind mice. I don't know where I'm going. Boom. I'll get food eventually. This is living. No, it's not living. Living is living in the light. And we have the opportunity to point others to the light. Even now. I don't believe that the only place someone can come to faith is at a church. But some of you, with some of the workers that you have or some of the neighbors that you have, maybe you might have an opportunity to invite them to come with you this Easter season and be able to, well, hear good news. To be able to understand Maybe for the first time, all that God has. And, and again, you've received some of these handouts last week if you're here. And on the way out, we're going to have ushers even hand more of these out. But if you want two or three or four of them, all this is is kind of a little invitation that you might be able to use with one of your neighbors or coworkers. And say, you know what? I'd love for you to come with me and hear about Jesus. Because I will guarantee that on Palm Sunday next week, on Good Friday, and on Easter, in a weird and wonderful way, we will talk about Jesus. And I want to encourage you to be able to point people to light. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being so bold. Thank you for giving us illustrations of who you are. Thank you for lighting up the temple. But more than that, by shouting to each one of us, Father, that you are the light. Father, not one of us like the alternative. Yet we choose by either running from you or living in our sin or being unrepentant, Father, we, we know. We know that darkness is lousy. Give us the courage. Help us understand completely. Father, you love us. And we are grateful. We pray all these things because Jesus is the light. Amen.